Hey, Heart of the City Church, my name is Seth Owens. I get the privilege of serving on staff here at Heart of the City as the creative pastor. Let me just tell you, we are so thankful that you are with us. I know you've already been greeted, but I just wanna take a moment to say that I believe that God has placed a word on my heart for today, a word that I think is a now word, and I'm so excited to share it with you. A little bit about myself, I, I like to usually uh, make a nod toward my wife whenever I preach. Uh, the reason for that is, is a lot of times you're only seeing one half of a couple when we step up on here. But, but specifically this time, I wanna thank her because my wife is a healthcare professional. And I just wanna take a moment, honey, thank you so much for what you're doing in order to help with the situation that we find ourselves in. And I wanna say thank you to every healthcare professional and first responder out there. Thank you so much for what you are doing. We are praying for, we, we are praying for you and we are standing with you. The series that we have been in for the past several weeks is The Art of Being Human. This is actually the last message from that series. Now, <clears throat> we didn't see COVID-19 coming, but we know that God saw COVID-19 coming. And I, I just believe what a timely series that we have been in during this time. Uh, you, you know, it's it, being called the art of being human. I think that we found, at least for me, that it really is an art. It's not so cut and dry as it seems when we're going about our normal life. I mean, you have the trivial decisions like, am I going to change out of sweats today? And then more serious decisions like, what does it look like for me to reach out to people? What does it look like for me to be connected with other human beings? What does it look like to be the hands and feet of Jesus during a time when we have a stay home order? And I just wanna encourage you that you were created for this. You were created for the art of being human. It's inside of you. And it's times like these that we have an opportunity to step into the humanity that God has called us into like never before. You know, um, this weekend is Palm Sunday weekend. And although I'm not really preaching toward Palm Sunday, I did want to take a moment because I felt like God was speaking to me this morning regarding Palm Sunday. I, you know, the, the, the palm, the image of the palm, it, it's, it's a symbol of victory. Specifically, it's a symbol of victory in war. And as I was reflecting just, uh, just on the image of Jesus riding in on, on that colt and the palms being laid before him, I was thinking about how much that the people were expecting in the Messiah for him to be this, this military leader and for him to come and deliver Israel by, by war and by, and by triumph in that way. And the week before his death and resurrection, they were celebrating this victory, but they didn't know what the victory was going to look like. And I believe that, you know, as we look at what the true victory was, very different, very different than a military battle, but also a much deeper victory. I was, what was a call to mind for me is, is, is a story, uh, a quote from, from the, the Lord of the Rings, which if you know me, you're probably not surprised that that's what came into my head. But there's this quote from Gandalf in, uh, in the second book or the second movie where he says, I want to I make sure I quote it right. It says, we meet again at the turn of the tide. A great storm is coming, but the tide is turned. Now he shares this uh, not long before a battle that's known as the Battle of Helm's Deep. And in the Battle of Helm's Deep, the good guys, for lack of a better term, are completely overwhelmed by the numbers of the bad guys, the Urukai. But there's this moment where Gandalf comes. He comes with the turning of the tide. He comes from behind and ambushes the enemy. Now, the numbers didn't look good at all. 
The good guys were way outnumbered. And, and, but, but as they came, they ambushed the enemy and scattered them, and the enemy went running for cover. And I just believe that the word of the Lord over his people today is that he is ambushing the enemy and that now is the turning of the tide, that there is a storm. But in the turning of the tide, there is a reversal that is taking place. And that just as the enemy has tried to come in like a flood in this situation with COVID-19, that God is reversing that storm. And he is coming with the turning of the tide today. Now, the palm, although it does represent victory, it also represents peace. And that's actually what I want to talk about with you today, is about peace, the peace of God. And this message, if you're taking notes, it's entitled Inside Out. Inside Out. We're going to be looking at three passages of Scripture today. Uh, we're going to be looking at a passage from Isaiah in chapter 26. We're looking at John chapter 14 and Philippians chapter 4. Now, <clears throat> as you hear those book names, you may not think of those being related. But I'd like to submit to you to today that they are very related. They are very connected. And um, I just want to start with Isaiah. Isaiah <clears throat> it's one of the major prophets. That's what they're called, the major prophets of the Old Testament. You'll see in the prophetic books of the Old Testament, like Isaiah, there's a lot of language that, come, that comes across as corrective and cautionary toward the nation of Israel. But in Isaiah, you'll also see beautiful imagery talking prophetically about the Messiah, his life and his death and his resurrection and what that would mean for humanity. Now in chapters 25 through 27 of Isaiah, he's talking about how the nation of Israel is going to be restored and is going to be delivered. And specifically in chapter 26, almost the entire chapter <clears throat> is a prophetic song. It's a prophetic song that Isaiah says that Judah is going to sing in the time of that deliverance. And in verse three, it's actually, the, it's actually the third phrase of that song. And Isaiah says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. We're gonna look at the book of John, chapter 14. John uh, is, uh, is, one, is the gospel account from the disciple John. And it is widely known as being distinctly different, uh, the most different out of the four gospels in comparison with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, with the style of his writing, but also the topics, the things that, that John chooses to cover as he tells the story of Jesus. You know, John makes it very clear what the purpose of his gospel account is later on. In the account, it says that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may, you may have life in his name. In, in chapters 13 and 14, John recounts the story of the Last Supper on the night that Jesus would be betrayed and taken and crucified. And we see this progression where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples he, he tells of how he's going, to be, uh, he's going to be betrayed. And then he gives them comfort about what is to come. And specifically in, in verses 15 through 30 in chapter 14, Jesus talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit. He tells them what he is going to give them. And, and, and right after that, in the midst of that, Jesus talks 
about giving them peace. And so we're going to look at verse 27. It says, peace, these are the words of Jesus, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Finally, we'll look at Philippians, which is, of course, a letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. He writes this from prison, and he encourages the Philippians to take on a Christ-like perspective, a Christ-like attitude, and a Christ-like way of living. You know, in this, in this passage, um, it, it has a very poetic and, and emotive flow to it. It's, it's near the end of Philippians chapter 4. It's, it's, it's near the end of the letter. And um, although it has that, that kind of emotional language, I'd like to submit to you today that it is actually very instructive and practical in nature. What we're going to see in these verses is kind of a list of instruction and then followed by a promise of peace two times. And we're going to start in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And would you join with me right now from wherever you are, your home, all across this nation, the world, would you join with me right now in prayer? Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is trustworthy, that we can stake our life on your word. And we pray today as your word is spoken, as the Logos becomes the Rhema, that we would be transformed, that we would be changed that you would teach us what it means to dwell in your perfect peace. In Jesus' name, let it be so. Amen. Now, when I was younger, our, uh, our family of four would take little road trips quite a bit throughout the Northwest. And uh, my sister and I, my sister Jamie, and I would be in the back seat. And, and I, uh, I'm a bit of an introvert. Um, I would be very content to just kind of keep to myself. Um, I could keep myself company just fine, wh- whether it be with uh, playing my Game Boy or reading a book or um, maybe playing with a few action figures. I-, I-, I liked being alone, even if I couldn't really be alone in the back seat. See, my sister Jamie was on the completely other side of the spectrum. My sister loved social interaction. She would do just about anything she could to, to, to make up or, or come up with some idea for me to play with her. She would make up new games trying to encourage me or trying to invite me, trying to tempt me to jump into a game with her so that we can interact. And the mix of my introversion with her extroversion was a bit of a perfect storm in the backseat. And sometimes... When I'd kind of come to my wit's end, I would refuse to talk to her and I'd refuse to play with her. And she would do this thing, and I don't know if any of you have a younger sibling who maybe has done this, but she would stretch herself out across the whole back seat. 
So you'd stretch yourself out, and then I would find myself in a corner just trying to find a little bit of alone time, just, just, just trying to have my own little nook of sorts. She would stretch out, and usually it was with her toe, and she would stretch out her foot, and then she would just barely touch me. Or she would just hover her foot right like she was just about to be touching me. And this little game of hers, she, I mean, she loved it. She totally got a kick out of it because she knew the rise it was getting out of me. But it would infuriate me. And I would, I would complain to my parents, often to no avail. And they would respond to me. They'd say, they'd say, well, Seth, just don't let it bother you. Or Seth, the only reason she's even doing that is because she knows that it bugs you. And then my response in my own little, you know, whatever, eight, nine, ten-year-old way would be, oh, that's, that's exactly the point. That's the point. It's because she knows that it bothers me that she should not be allowed to do it. This is an injustice. And parents, you have the power to stop it. So make it stop. And, you know, there was something, we would go back and forth, back and forth, until eventually one side would give way and peace would be restored to the back seat. But when I was a kid, and even now, there was something inside me that would be so concerned about the injustice of the situation, the injustice of, of the surrounding circumstances that I would often, and still do sometimes, just miss the point and miss the heart of the matter because I'm so fixated on this idea that something is not fair, something is not right, and therefore I have permission to be upset and to be bothered. And now I can look back and see that what my parents were trying to show me was that whether I was bothered or not by what Jamie was doing really wasn't her responsibility, it was mine. See, the peace in the backseat was actually more dependent on what was going on inside me rather than what was going on around me. And I would just ask you this today, from wherever you are. How's the peace in your backseat? I know it's really hard right now, and it, and it feels almost like, it feels impossible to not let our inner state of being be impacted by our surrounding circumstance. And if you're anything like me, it's like when you wake up, if you make the mistake of checking your phone first, which, let me tell you, waking up and checking your phone first is a mistake. If you wake up and make that mistake, if you're like me, you're inundated immediately with messages of fear and worry and hysteria and panic. And then one news headline leads to another and one article leads to another. And then one video clip leads to another. And all of a sudden, I find myself in this pit of worry before I even brush my teeth. And then... You know, I, I feel like I have to put a hard reset on my day just to get back to neutral. And maybe in that moment, I turn on some worship music or, or maybe, maybe just try to scroll through and browse some scripture to just get my mind right or, 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 or say a quick prayer. And, and look, I'm not mocking that practice because I'm right there with you. I'm telling you what I'm doing. I'm not trying to make fun or, or poke at what you might be doing. I'm right there with you. It's really, really hard. However, as I look at the scriptures, you know, I, I find this contrast. You know, for me, sometimes fi I, I find myself searching for peace. I'm searching for peace. And what it feels like, I'm stumbling around in a dark room looking for something solid to anchor myself to until I can flip the light switch on. 
But to me, when I read these scriptures, it looks like Jesus and Isaiah and Paul had a, had a very different perspective on peace. See, they didn't seem to view it as something that we acquire or, or find from the outside, but rather something on the inside to be accessed and to be revealed. Now, before we actually look at that and unpack that, I think it's important for us to take a moment and kind of define our terms. What are we talking about when we talk about the word peace? Now, first, I mean, we can look at the Oxford Dictionary. And what Oxford would say would probably, some, probably be somewhat similar to the way that we would understand the word peace. And it says this, peace defined, freedom from disturbance, semicolon, tranquility. Freedom from disturbance. It's interesting. I think it could be, it could be read as a state of being uninterrupted by external forces. But believe it or not, that's actually pretty far from the biblical definition of peace. You see, if you don't already know, um, the Old Testament was pr originally primarily written in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. And so when we look at the passage from Isaiah, we read earlier that the Hebrew word that we're actually looking at is shalom. When we look at that, it, it's actually, we're seeing shalom twice in a row when we look at that passage. Shalom, shalom. To mean perfect peace. And I think that alone should give us some inclination, should give us some insight to the meaning of that word. You see, shalom is defined as completeness or soundness or welfare or health or, and of course, peace. But I think that, you know, it can even, it can even be described as, um, by some theologians as things as they are meant to be. So you could read Isaiah's lyric here, when you see shalom, shalom, you could see he keeps him in perfect perfection. Or he keeps him in complete completeness. It's pretty different from the way that we use the word. Similarly, when we look at the passages in, in John and in Philippians, we find, a, we, we, we find a word that's not so unlike shalom. It's Greek, of course, so it sounds a lot different. And it's arene. Now, arene... Similarly, it, it comes from the word which, ero, which means to join or hold together as a whole. So properly, irene means wholeness. So when we talk about peace described in scripture, we're not just talking about a lack of war or a lack of disturbance or a lack of interruption. We're instead discussing a much larger idea, encompassing a state of wholeness, completeness, and things as they were meant to be. Both shalom and arene are at the heart of what it means to be human. They're at the heart of the way of Jesus. I think this understanding of peace helps us kind of interpret and understand better what Jesus was saying in John chapter 14. I'm going to read that again. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So first question that comes to my mind, I guess here is, how does the world give? And I think you and I know that the world gives in a fickle way. The world gives a momentary peace that is here one second 
and gone the next. Why? Because it is dependent upon circumstance. To contrast that, how does Jesus give? Well, I think it's important to remember when we ask that question that we're finding, when, when he says, when he talks about the way that he gives, it's in context of the scripture directly before of his giving of the Holy Spirit. And so I think when we look at the scripture, what I would argue is that Jesus gives peace, gives shalom, gives arene in the same way that he gives his spirit. Because to have the spirit is to have access to wholeness, completeness, everlasting peace that he gives. Jesus gives, like I said, a wholeness and a, complete, and a completeness that is not momentary. One that is not dependent on what's going on outside, but determined by what is happening on the inside. You see, the title track from one of my favorite albums, Blackout by Stephanie Gretzinger. The title track, it, it repeats this as its, as its pre-chorus. Can't turn out a light shining from the inside. Can't turn out a light shining from the inside. And in a similar fashion, I think that Jesus would sing to us. Can't disrupt a peace flowing from the inside. Can't disrupt a peace flowing from the inside. You see, if the outside world didn't give it to you, the outside world can't take it from you. It's important for us to remember. So now that we have a working definition for the peace outlined in Scripture, not the peace understood by the world today and by Oxford Dictionary, I want to look back at what Isaiah and Paul have to say about what it looks like to enter into this peace. Let's first look back at Isaiah in, in chapter 26. He said, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So what is Isaiah teaching us in this song? If you want to be kept in perfect peace, that is the shalom shalom of God, you must have your mind stayed on God. Well, how do I know that my mind is sufficiently stayed on God? Well, we know this because what it looks like what he's saying is the result of a mind that has stayed on God is a heart that trusts in him. And the result of a heart that trusts in him is a heart that is at perfect peace. Simple enough, but not necessarily easy, of course. So what does it look like and how do we keep our mind stayed on God? And this is the beautiful connection that I see here from Isaiah 26 in Philippians 4, because I think Paul gives us an answer. How do I keep my mind stayed on God? When we look at verse 8 from Philippians 4, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what is the result in verse 9? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what? And the God of peace will be with you. So how do we keep our minds stayed on God and experience the presence of this God of peace, this theos tesserenes? 
We fix our thoughts. We dwell and meditate on the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise. We dwell and we meditate on the attributes of God and the elements in our life which reflect his character. Well, that would lead me to this next question. How do I know his attributes and his character? Well, his attributes and his character are written all over his word. And so for me to know those, I would just quote the psalmist in saying that we must hide his word in our hearts. We must hide his word in our hearts. You see, scripture memorization, which is such a Christianese term now, scripture memorization, is not only for children in Sunday school so they can get some candy. Scripture memorization is the most reliable and trustworthy way for us to know the character of God and what he does to hide his word in our hearts. Paul has more to say about entering into God's peace in verses four through six. So we're actually gonna backtrack a little bit. We just read verses eight and nine. We're gonna look at verses four through six and then seven. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And again, a resulting promise in verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, how do we access this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding? Doesn't that sound great? Well, according to Paul, it's actually broken down for us pretty well. We rejoice in the Lord. What does that look like? We celebrate who God is and what he does. We celebrate him. We stir up joy. We don't wait for joy to find us. Next, we let our reasonableness be known to everyone. What, is, what does that mean? Reasonableness can be also translated, that, that Greek word, as gentleness or fairness. When we treat people justly, without partiality, when we show compassion, Here's the thing. Sometimes we think showing compassion is all about the other people. Now, it might be primarily about the people, but when we show compassion, it doesn't just change their situation. It changes us. He says, we don't let anxiety rule our mind. Now, I know that you might not want to hear this, and I know this might come across as um, a little bit controversial, but it appears as though Paul is presenting that as a decision. Now, to bring a little bit of balance to that, what he says next shows us that God does not leave us to make that decision with our own strength of will. Instead, what he says is, in everything. He says, but, in everything. And then he mentions four things. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and requests. Now, what is prayer? Prayer. Prayer is having a conversation with God. The Greek word, sometimes we make prayer so complicated, but the Greek word that Paul uses right here that, is defi- that, that we translate as prayer is an exchange of wishes. Now, I'll just make a note for a minute. An exchange of wishes means that wishes are going back and forth. So an incredibly uh, necessary element of prayer is that we listen because it is an exchange. It's not a one-way conversation. 
Supplication. We don't really use that word a lot, but supplication simply means to share our need or our lack. It's okay. It's not just okay. It's a part of being human, and it's a part of connecting with God to come to God and say, this is what's wrong. This is what's missing. This is what's lacking. This is what I need. And then thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, we give credit to God for what he has done, what he's doing, and what he's yet to do. And we make our requests known to him. We specifically tell him what we desire him to do. That is a request. Now, you could look at those and you say, well, Seth, doesn't he see my heart? The Bible says that man looks upon the appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And he absolutely does. But here's the thing about God. God is not primarily concerned with efficiency in the way that he does things in the works of his kingdom. God is primarily concerned with relationship. And so when he asks us and desires us to actually let these prayers and supplications and thanksgivings and requests escape our lips, he is reaffirming that what's important to him is connection and that connection with him is what actually transforms us. It's what actually guards our minds and hearts. Now, it could be really easy, after I just kind of gave you a list, to take this as some kind of formula and turn it into an empty tradition. And I want to say that that is not the point at all. These principles are meant to be taken and seen as pointing to a greater overarching principle, not to be taken as an exhaustive list of seven steps for a better life. That's not, that's not at all, I think, what Paul is doing here. He's pointing to a greater principle. And what is that overarching principle? I know this might be a little bit hard to swallow, but I think the overarching principle that Paul is pointing to here in this whole passage here in Philippians is that you are responsible for your peace. Now, don't get me wrong when I say that, because that could easily be taken as I'm saying that you are the source of your peace. And I'm most definitely not saying that. You are not the source of your peace. But you are responsible for accessing what has already been given to you by meditating on who God is through his word, by keeping your mind stayed on him, by connecting with him through rejoicing and prayer and supplication and thanksgiving and requests and so many other expressions of relationship that he has given us, all of which point to our connection with God himself. And the reason why that matters so much is because peace is a person. Peace is a person. And when you believed upon Jesus... As the Son of God, crucified on your behalf, and now risen as your Lord and Savior, what the Bible says is that that person, Jesus, has made his home in you. And because the person of peace has made his home in you, that peace now flows from the inside out, not the outside in. It flows from the inside of you because the person of peace dwells inside of you. 
That's where he has chosen to make his home. Jesus said that I will make a home in you. Me and my father will make a home in you. And therefore his peace flows from the inside of us out. Now, what's really important that I just mentioned, the question that you might be asking is, well, what if I don't believe? What if I don't believe? Because you just said that when you believed, when you believed that Jesus is the son of God and that he was, he was killed on your behalf and he, and he rose again as, your, as, as savior and as Lord, that's when you had access to that peace. And, and I stand behind that statement. If you don't believe, then I would say that you're living with the peace of the world, which will never quench your anxiety, which will never quench your worry. And that might not sound good news, like good news, but I'll tell you, I mean, that you're right, that that isn't good news, but it is the context upon which the good news of the gospel stands. The good news of the gospel is that you can't save yourself from fear or anxiety or death or suffering because you were never meant to. The good news of the gospel is that every fear and every mistake and every regret that you've ever had was laid upon a person named Jesus and that he paid for your freedom from all of those things with his life. And the good news of the gospel is that all you have to do to access perfect peace, shalom, shalom, is to put your trust in that Jesus. And so just like every gathering, every experience, whether it's online or here in person, here at Heart of the City, we always want to offer an invitation, an opportunity for people who maybe you don't know this Jesus, that if I were to ask you if he was your personal friend, that you would have to say no. Or you would say that, Maybe once you could have said yes, but that you walked away from him and that you have rejected him, but that you have a desire to return to him. And let me tell you that his desire for you to return is greater than yours ever could be. And so I wanna take a moment right now to invite you, if you want to step into this intimate friendship, this loving agape relationship with Jesus, that you would pray with me. Now, I don't want you to pray these words with me in an empty way, that you would only repeat after me if this is something that is stirring inside of your heart, that you want to place your trust in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Son of God, today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me right now, if that's you? Father, I recognize and admit that I am a sinner. I have messed up and fallen short. And that my sin separated me from you. But I also thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to bear every mistake that I've ever made upon himself 
through his death on the cross. I thank you that you rose Jesus from the dead. And that because of that, I have hope for resurrection and eternal life. Father, I place all of my trust in you and all of my trust in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you said that, if you said that prayer with me for the first time tonight or today, what I would, what I would say, or if you said it for the first time or in an act of returning to relationship with Jesus after walking away from him, please don't walk away and forget this moment. We would ask you that you would send us a message. I know right now we would love to be connected with you in person. We would love to talk with you face to face. But right now we just can't do that. Would you send us an email at amen at theheartcda.com so that we can celebrate with you and so that we can continue to stay connected with you. Although we each have to make these decisions and these commitments on an individual level, it is in community that we walk this journey of following Jesus. For everyone else, I just wanna pray for you right now and bless you. I, I don't know where you're at, but I imagine that peace has probably been a battle for you. I know it's been a battle for me. But I also know that God has given us, as his children, access to his shalom, shalom, his perfect peace at any time. And it's flowing from the outside in, not the inside out. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your peace. Your shalom, your, your shalom, shalom. Your perfect perfection. Your, your whole wholeness, your complete completeness. And I ask you right now, Lord, that you would bring that revelation to each one of us. That we would open our eyes to see that we have access and that we can step into that peace. When worry tries to come, when fear tries to come, when doubt tries to come that who lives in us is greater than he who lives in the world and that you have already overcome and paid the high price for our peace. We place all of our trust in you, God. We stay our minds on you and we decide to dwell in your shalom, shalom. In Jesus' name, amen.